So this morning, uh, it occurred to me um, really the, the past three years, I, I've tried to make it a point to preface at, at least one of my sermons with uh, an explanation of, um, I guess, my perspective from the pulpit. And, and I do this primarily so that I answer a question that I ask myself frequently. It's a very simple question before I, I sit down to uh, study and write for a Sunday message. I ask myself the question, what is a sermon anyway? You may think that an odd question, but it's intentional because I have always believed that unless I begin my approach to a Sunday morning message from the perspective that it's the Holy Spirit speaking through me that you need to hear. You don't need to hear Stephen's message. You need to hear God's message through me. And so I asked myself that question every time I sit down and once a year, um, I, I like to, and usually on the anniversary month, which is June, July, of my stepping into the pulpit. I, I first became a pastor appointed to an extension ministry in 2014. And those of you that remember, I used to be at the clinic in Tomball, right? And then in 2015, I was appointed here. And then I think it was 2018 also appointed to the little church up in Shepherd. And all of that to say that I never want to forget that this is not my church. This is God's church. This is not my message. This is, uh, to the best of my discernment, ability, and study, the Holy Spirit's message speaking through me. And so as, as we assemble in this holy place, I like to remind myself that this place is set apart for worship and teaching and fellowship. And when we assemble here, I always like to remind you that there will be times that what comes from my mouth might make you uncomfortable. There will be times when the words that I'm led to share with you might cause you to stop and reflect on your life, your circumstances, your situations. And, and you might find, I like to remind us all every year, as, as I deliver my messages for however long that God has me in this pulpit, for however long God has us gathered in this assembly together, you might find that some of what is spoken here might rub you the wrong way. There may be times when it, it might feel as if I'm standing up here speaking directly to you as if I had the ability to read your mind. Trust me, that is not one of my gifts. I am not a mind reader. He's not. <laughs> Witness. You might feel, I guess is what my point is, at some point convicted. 
And then on the other hand, it's, it's not all conviction. On the other hand, there will be times when the message I give on any given Sunday might spark joy, evoke feelings of peace and comfort in, here, in you because you might hear something that makes you think about how good God has been in your life, in your experience, in your circumstances, in your situation, and you might at that moment feel uplifted by what the Holy Spirit is bringing to you. And so here's the nutshell. Whether you feel convicted on any given Sunday or whether you feel uplifted on any given Sunday, I hope above everything that the words that come from this pulpit will you will be able to count as joy, regardless of whether it's a feeling of conviction or a feeling of uplifting. Because the words that I speak, I strive always that they would come after much prayer, much thought, much preparation, much study, always using the Bible, the Word of God, as the source, and always leaning on the interpretation of the Holy Spirit working in me as a follower in Jesus Christ as the source of anything that might come out of my mouth from this pulpit. Trust me, that's a tall order because the things that come out of my mouth sometimes are, well, they're, they're sometimes I, I listen to what has been spoken on the recording and I say, where did that come from? That wasn't in my notes. And so I trust the Holy Spirit to deliver, even this morning, exactly what is needed in this space, in this holy space, with this family of God at this moment. And so with that, having gotten that message across, I want to talk about what Paul has for us in 2 Corinthians. I'm in chapter 8, if you have your Bible. I'm starting at verse 7. Hear what Paul says. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning at verse 7. Now, as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in utmost eagerness... And in our love for you, so we want you to excel also in this generous undertaking. Well, once again, the passage of Scripture assigned to us this morning by the lectionary begins in a place where we automatically have to stop after the first verse we read and go backwards. Because the question is, what generous undertaking is Paul talking about? And so if we back up to the beginning of, of chapter 8, Paul is appealing to the church at Corinth for them to be generous to those who are in need and to those who are carrying on the ministry of the church. Now when he says generous in this context, he's talking about, yes, money, He's also talking about being generous with your time. And he's also about talking about being generous with your abilities, your talent. 
And so he's appealing to the church in Corinth to be generous. Why? Because, well, they have an issue with generosity. And if we back up to the first verse, uh, he uses the smaller churches of Macedonia as an example, as he's talking to the church at Corinth, as an example of sacrificial giving. And he says, we want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been granted to the churches of Macedonia. He says, for during a severe ordeal of affliction, have we experienced any of those recently? Their abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. That's an odd sentence. Let me just read that again. Their abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Joy and extreme poverty overflow into generosity. That's not a normal equation. Because generally joy and poverty, there's a disconnect, humanly speaking. And certainly poverty and generosity, there's a disconnect there usually, humanly speaking. So that statement in verse 2, for during a severe ordeal of affliction, their abundant joy, the churches in Macedonia, have abundant joy even in their extreme poverty, and that has overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For as I can testify, Paul says, they voluntarily gave according to their means and even beyond their means, begging us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in this ministry to the saints. So these small churches in Macedonia are begging Paul, please take our money to do your ministry. Please take our time. We'll help out in any way we can. Please use us. Whatever talents and abilities we have, we want you to use us for the ministry to the saints. Now, before you get the idea that this sermon is about tithes, about offerings, about stewardship or church finances, I have to tell you, yes, it is. <laughs> but not only that, because you see all these things work together for good to those who are called Service. Those who are called by God to do the ministry of the church. See, Corinth's problem was that they weren't generous. Even though they had tremendous resources, especially compared to the smaller churches in Macedonia, they had the resources to have a huge impact on the ministry, on the community, on, in fact, even on the region that they served. And their, their issue was, even though they excelled in most everything else, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in utmost eagerness, Paul lists a few, even though they were excellent in most things, in this one area of generosity, they were lacking. And Paul is telling them here 
that all of the things they are doing well, all of the stuff they're doing right, they're able to do because of the grace of God. And so he's asking them the question, if you do so many things well, all by the grace of God, why then are you falling down in the area of generosity when that comes by way of God's abundant grace also? In other words, God is supplying you with everything you need to be excellent in all these other things. And he's also the source of your provision. He is Jehovah Jireh, God our provider. And so if he's the one who's giving the provision, why are you falling short? So Paul says in verses 8 through 15, I do not say this as a command. In other words, I'm not telling you to go be generous as a command. But I'm testing the genuineness of your love against the earnestness of others. In other words, those smaller churches in Macedonia, they're not only giving, but they're giving sacrificially of their money, of their talent, and of their time. Paul says, for you, know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And in this matter I am giving my advice. It is appropriate for you, who began last year not only to do something, but even to desire to do something, now finish doing it so that your eagerness may be matched by completing it according to your means. For if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. Paul says, I don't mean that there should be relief for others and pressure on you, but it is a question of a fair balance between your present abundance and their need so that their abundance may be for your need in order that there may be a fair balance. As it is written, the one who had much did not have too much, and the one who had little did not have too little. So, we have to be careful here that we don't confuse the economy of the world with the economy of the kingdom of God. They're two separate economies. One of them works by truth and grace, and the other one generally works, well, by greed. And so Paul is saying, look, I'm not trying to tell you how to run your business. I'm not trying to get you to do something against your will, church in Corinth. I'm just pointing out that your neighbors in Macedonia are doing a lot of ministry with just a few resources. And I hope you can get excited about the possibilities for ministry here in Corinth with all that you have available to you. Paul's telling them, I'm wanting to bring out the best in you. Because you do so many things right. I want you to do everything to the best of your ability. 
And he reminds them, you remember Jesus and his generosity, don't you? He was rich beyond worldly wealth. And he gave it all away for us. In one stroke, he became poor. And we became rich beyond measure, didn't we? You see, Paul is not talking about material wealth. He's talking about spiritual wealth. The thing is, when it comes to money, the Bible talks a lot about money. We can either make money an idol or we can make it a tool for spiritual discipline and growth. Let me say that again. We can make money an idol or we can make it a tool for discipline and spiritual growth. So as Paul's talking to the church in Corinth, we know he's also talking to the church in Splendor. So maybe our area of need, the area where we need to find excellence, maybe it's not generosity. Maybe our area that needs work is something else. Maybe we're excellent in generosity, but lacking in hospitality. Maybe we're excellent in hospitality, but lacking in outreach. The point is, do we know where we need improvement and do we know that we should always do everything as if we're doing it for Christ himself? Do we also recognize that our ability, our strength to do everything that we do is a gift by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit? I think that's worth discussion. It's worth discussion in around the board of stewards table. It's worth discussion here in the sanctuary with the larger congregation. We need to know where we are excellent and where we might be lacking. If it's generosity, if, if, if that's what we're lacking in, then we need to know that we need to address it, not just so that we can pay the light bill and pay the pianist and Hey, the pastor. Let's not forget the pastor. Uh, not just for that, but so that we understand that a giving spirit, a giving spirit is part of the discipline and spiritual growth of every Christian. Not because the church needs your money, but because you need to have a generous giving heart. It's part of the makeup of our Savior Jesus who gave it all. And in order for us to be the image and likeness of God and to emulate our Savior, we need to be willing to give it up also. What do we give? Well, we give everything we have. I'm not saying go to the bank after church and hit the ATM and clean out your bank account. I'm not saying that. I'm saying you need to be willing 
to give sacrificially of your time, your talent, and yes, your treasure. See, these are difficult conversations because whenever we talk about generosity, there's a tendency out there in the world as people are critically looking in the windows of the church, mainly because they're not willing to set foot inside it, so they'll peer in and they'll make judgments about you as Christians. And anytime a pastor stands in the pulpit and preaches about generosity, what is the first thing they say as a justification for their choice not to participate in the life of a church? They're just after the money. Well, I got news for anybody that's peering in these windows. This is not the big church downtown in the summit. There's not, there's not comparatively a lot of monetary wealth represented in the church. What there is is this wonderful reputation that the Holy Spirit has built here that this is the church in Splendora that cares. Have you heard that before? Out of all the churches that line this road, and if you counted them one day, there's quite a few. Out of all the churches between the freeway and let's say Plum Grove, this is the one that has the reputation of being the church that cares. It has nothing to do with our bank account We have what we need when we need it. We have seen God work in that way. Spiritually, as a discipline, we should examine ourselves and say, do I give of my time, talent, and treasure in proportion to my ability? So there's that. But that's not the point. The point is we have a reputation in this community that we have built through careful cultivation of listening to the Holy Spirit that tells us we should be generous. And so we are. We feed, on average, 80 families a month with a substantial injection into their food budget. And then two months out of the year, we double it and even triple it. So we give generously to our community, but that's not where we stop with just food pantry. We have our Christmas angels program. We have our prayer ministry. Let's face it, that gives much more than we could ever give monetarily. We give. We care. They know it. That's not by accident. The thing that Paul's telling us is that as the church, we 
don't have to do it all in our community. Matter of fact, it would be a bigger meal than we would care to try to take a bite out of. We just have to do what we can to the best of our ability. And we have to do it with a generous spirit, a generous heart, and with love for our fellow humans in this community. See, our mission is to make disciples for Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. I don't care how eloquent a speaker you are, when somebody's stomach is rumbling, they can't hear you until you fix the rumble. When somebody is hurting physically, illness or what have you, they can't listen to you until you address their human condition. I'm not saying we're doctors here. I'm not saying we can treat them, but we can certainly pray for them. When they know that you care about what's going on in their lives, then you become an example of the gospel message of Jesus Christ to them. Shouting the Bible through a megaphone on the street corner has little impact on their life. That's just reality. Our mission is to make disciples for Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And we do that by doing our very best to care for the people in our community. We do that by joining in with what God is already doing in the world and in this community. We don't try to make it up as we go along. We see where the need is, where God is leading us, and we follow We do it by using the gifts, the abilities, the talent that God has given us. And we do it as excellently as is humanly possible. And we always do it not for our own glory, but for God's glory and for his honor. That's how we show excellent generosity. So rather than you feel this morning a tug on your wallet, I would rather that you feel a tug on your heart. That you would open yourself up and imitate the glorious generosity that Jesus has extended to you, paying your sin debt in full, and respond with a willingness to be generous to others. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.